the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Hey, we're really excited about the prayer and fasting next weekend and the, and the things that God's going to do in, in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm. And I think it's often quite good to, to fast in an evening and then have the, the morning and the lunch, perhaps make it a full day. If you can just fast one meal, that's so cool. That's all good. Uh, but we're just really looking forward to that time of just getting together and praying. Hey, the 1st of June, the 1st of June sees uh, many dairy farm workers move around the countries, country as they kind of progress in their career and um, and uh, as a result uh, we had a couple of guys get uh, headhunted away and Aaron spent most of the autumn uh, interviewing and recruiting staff and uh, finally the big day came and they all arrived and Aaron did a really great job of welcoming, welcoming them in and uh, we had a little uh, you know kind of initiation and a few you know key values that we have and um, Aaron, Aaron said what's the best thing and the worst thing that you've ever done. Whoa, <laughs> we all had to think very fast on our feet and uh, we went around the room and we were just blown away by the tough things that these guys had gone through. Some of the hard stories that they'd um, endured, you know, and choices made perhaps, but a bit of bad luck along the way and, and uh, they were hurting guys, some of them. And I was really challenged by the honesty and the sharing that went down in our first little get-together. And you know, everyone's got a story. And everyone's story is unique. And uh, deep down in, in everyone, I think, there's just hope. There's hope that things are going to get better. Things will come right. And we certainly hope for our guys on the farm, they will leave better than they came. But we all need Jesus, amen? Really, that's the answer to that hope that things are going to get better in our story. You know, God has a story too. He has a mega story that we call the biblical narrative. And God's story has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. And he gets to share that with us. You know, right now the world is actually scrambling for answers. World leaders are sort of like on a tightrope balancing all these things that will either be good for this one and bad for that one or whatever, and, and there's wars, and uh, the, the wars lead to poverty and all, the, all that sort of stuff. And it's good to be informed, but, you know, I heard a statement last Sunday, rather than shouting at the darkness, I believe we need to seize this opportunity to share Christ and faith in God. You know, let's turn everything back to, you know, faith in God, to sort of make him our rock, in these times we are on the solid rock of God's word amen and we're forever grateful for that and from that place we are to share Jesus to the lost and to the hurting but we also need to warn those who are just a bit too comfortable to seek God now because things will get worse before they get better that's the revelation story. It starts out bad, then it gets worse, and then it gets better. And it's worth it hanging in there 
and waiting for that great and glorious day of our Lord. Revelation 4 verse 1 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. So I've called this message today, The Great Invitation. As promised, today marks the start of a journey through the last book of the Bible, Revelation, which has within it the promise of both blessing for those who read and hear it in chapter 1, verse 3, and curses for any who would add or take away from this book in Revelation 22, 18 and 19. And this could explain why some preachers avoid this book like the plague. Because nothing seems to divide believers quite like how the story will end. So as I've prepared for this series, I've been excited and prayerful, but also, if I'm honest, a little apprehensive as well, because we've worked so hard to maintain unity over these you know, recent difficult times. And um, you know, it has been a stressful time of constant change, there's been pushback from decisions made. And it's taken its toll on the church universal. The entire world has been affected. We've seen some lose their faith. We've seen others choose to do church a little bit differently. But despite all that, we believe the time is right here for us to humbly approach this wonderful climax to the Word of God. Imagine if it finished in the book of Jude, (laughs) with uh, poor old Jude trying to correct a second-generation church. Imagine if it finished there. What an (laughs) anticlimax. Well, we've got this book called Revelation, and that's where we're going to get into in a minute. And this is still kind of the introduction here. (laughs) It's not merely the revelation of events, times, and spiritual war in the heavenlies. It's the revelation of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ himself. And that's how it opens. The opening words of Revelation 1 verse 1 are, and we've got it on the screen, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. So as we grapple with the chapters in the few weeks to come, Let's keep those words uppermost in our thinking. It's a revelation of Jesus. And let's park all our strongly held positions just to one side, long enough to allow the Spirit of God to reveal his word to us afresh. During this month, let's also learn from each other through the grace and by the grace of Christ who died, who rose again and forever will be glorified. Amen? Let's keep our eyes on that. The Apostle John received this revelation while exiled on the island of Patmos. In fact, John was the only disciple to die a natural death. And after seeing Jesus like he'd never seen him before in chapter 1, he receives messages for the first century churches in order to prepare for the trouble to come. I believe the Holy Spirit 
gave encouragement, correction, and warnings to the angels of the seven churches described in chapters 2 and 3. Some see this, these churches as being like timeless stereotypes of churches then, now, and churches to come. This group would suggest we can see a direct likeness to many churches today from those seven examples. The lessons, warnings, and advice from the Lord are therefore timeless. Others take them to face, at face value and simply study the influence that their historical background, their cultural setting, and the physical location had on them. And that's very important. We go back and look at where they're placed. And from this, we too can learn what, what we're all about, where we've been placed, you know, and, and that, that can give us words of encouragement and warnings as we go forward. Whatever we, however we unpack chapters 2 and 3, we can agree that they apply to the church on earth. And, you know, I think God is wanting to show us that he does, when he's doing a big thing, he starts with us. And we need to get ourselves right. Amen? He starts with us before these big movements, big things happening. So as we begin chapter 4, we see the writer shift his focus from earth to heaven. There's a shift. There's a change of location. The door in verse 1 that we read about is a door into the spiritual world of God's presence. And in particular, into the realm of the one who sits on the throne of heaven. After a spectacular revelation of, of Jesus in chapter 1, as we just said, John now gains access into the very control room, the very control center of heaven, and that's God himself on the throne. After that really lengthy introduction, let's just turn and read Revelation 4, 1 to 4. Let's just really read. And after these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. You can read this at home, the whole chapter, but we're going to pick it up again in verse 10. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and peace. For you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. Whoa. So in, in Revelation 1 verse 1, the Greek word used for revelation is apocalyptus. 
And from this, we now call this type of literature apocalyptic writings. And the root meaning of this Greek word is unveiling. Isn't that awesome? Like someone pulling the cord at the corner of the room, unveiling the sunshine in the morning. It's a pulling back of the curtains so we can see. And we can see things which were you know, hidden previously from man, but always known to God. So here in chapter 4, verse 1, a voice from heaven is unveiling for John things almost too wonderful to describe. He's, he's lost for words. It's a great invitation to come up here. Come up here. A change of world. Suddenly we've moved from earth to heaven in this verse. The first door of invitation is worship. I love that God ends his redemptive plan for mankind with this sort of like movie trailer of the final triumph over evil. It just stirs my heart that he loves us enough to be transparent about the process. He's not hiding anything. It's out there. For me, the why is as important as the when. When John entered that door, he received both insight and foresight. He entered a state of spiritual exaltation. He felt the liquid love of God envelop him. And as the creatures, the angels, and the elders fell before him in worship, John caught it. He got it. He felt overawed, you know, just lost for words, like we said. And one of the reasons we get this revelation or this unveiling, this glimpse of heaven, I believe, is to be drawn into worship now. When it means the most to God, you know, until he comes, we're to worship him, eh? And in the midst of the trials that we're going through and our troubles, if we can willingly and regularly bow the knee, we are saying to spiritual powers, we will not be shaken. We will trust in God more than in this life's ups and downs. We will trust in God more than security of man-made things and its joys and sorrows. We're going to trust in God more than all these things. He is our rock. We bring heaven's values to earth when we tap into worship and give God worth-ship. The second door of invitation is opportunity. And we're just going to go back a little bit to chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, and read about this invitation to an opportunity. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, he who is true, has, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shouts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut. My word and have not denied my name. You see, we discover opportunity for that love to be shared now. I've said it before. The two things we can't do in heaven 
is tell others who don't know him about him and sin. Those are the two things we can't do in heaven. We can't sin and we can't tell others about Jesus who don't know him. <laughs> Let's take opportunities that we have now. Jesus opens and closes doors for us to walk through. He's gone ahead. He's got the keys. But we have to choose whether or not to enter in. As Jeremy said last week, our faithfulness is proof of our faith. Obedience to act when we're prompted by, by the Lord and serve when we act and serve, that stems from our worship but it manifests in our actions. When John entered that door, his vision expanded exponentially. That means just heaps and heaps. <laughs> like Ezekiel 1, 1 and, uh, and Isaiah 6 verse 1, those two guys before him, they got a bigger picture. They got a bigger vision of God. What door of opportunity are you facing today? What's God asking you to do? Is it a God-centered vision or just a good idea? Does it scare you? I.e., is it big enough? But hey, are you being faithful with what he's already got you doing? A few big questions here. I've found that these doors of opportunity don't shout at us. They whisper. They whisper, and we discover them in that quiet place with our Lord. The third door of invitation concerns our human heart. In Revelation 3.20, just a few verses back, we read, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who hears my voice, who opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him and he with me. Unless we accept this invitation, we will not even be equipped to enter the other two into worship and into opportunities. I've put this one last because of its importance. It, if we don't open this door, it's all for nothing. If we don't accept Christ and Christ alone to be our Lord and the Lord of our life, knowing salvation is not based on anything we've done or anything we could ever do to please God, then we will enter eternal life. Isn't that awesome? You know, despite having dreams and visions of doing great things for God or good works, or even entering into worship, we all fall short of his perfect standard without repentance and a renewed heart. Only Jesus could ever fulfill the standard by dying for us. He met the standard, the perfection, perfect lamb of God that was sacrificed as a sacrificial lamb on our behalf. If we don't open the door of our heart when he knocks with those nail-pierced hands, our names will not be in the Lamb's book of life in Revelation 20, verse 15. Back in the 90s, there was a bit of a fun song by a guy called Steve Apirana. 
and it was called Inevitable, and I'm going to have a go at it, the line that he that really stuck in my mind. It's inevitable that if you find yourself in heaven, well, it won't be because you were lucky. It's inevitable that if you find you're in hell, then you're going to feel like a chicken in Kentucky. <laughs> Just thought we needed some right, light relief there. <laughs> so it's not luck that gets us to heaven. And you don't want to be that guy in Kentucky. The second half of Revelation 3.20 is just as important as the first. To share food and to dine with someone in Palestine was to share life and intimacy, friendship, mateship. I'm running out of words. <laughs> Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And I believe one of those joys was to dine with us and us with him. It's a two-way. It's a two-way thing. We're nearly there. In Mark 1 verse 10, we just see... Two examples of the, the heavens opening and descending on Jesus. Because if you've got anything out of this today, I just want to see that we, we, it's all about Jesus. We want to glorify him, eh? And we want him to receive all the glory. And that's going to be the end of the story. But in Mark 1.10, the heavens opened and descended on Jesus. And again... In John 1.51, John told Nathanael that he would see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's about him. Are you ready? Am I ready to accept the great invitation today to enter these doors, the door of worship, the door of opportunity, the door of salvation, in order to see more clearly our beautiful Saviour, because that's, I believe, the reason he's inviting us in, to see Jesus in all his glory. Angels ascending and descending upon him. Amen. Father, I just thank you for this preparation for what's maybe going to be some tough times for some of us, Lord. I just pray that as we... Focus on your word, we get life, we get, we get the joy that comes with just knowing you and dining and being with you, but Lord, also that you will equip us. We don't want to be left unprepared for what's ahead. And Lord, we just pray for the church. We pray for your church, Lord, universal. Pray for one another. Pray that we just, yeah surround each of the people we meet with love this week. Lord, as we enter in to that holy place where you are, we just know that it's beyond words. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's awesome, truly awesome. And you deserve all the praise. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.